And welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast. Me, your host, J.P. Warren. And before we begin, I got to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Kill Petroleum Consultants, CPC specialized in project engineering, well site supervision, and all disciplines in the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And uh, we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this podcast right now via Zoom. Haven't done one of these in a while, but it kind of gets back to kind of the basics for me because this is actually when the, we started around the Rotary during COVID, uh, during the lockdown, and kind of a. Uh, this is where the first, I think, you know, probably about twenty twenty five uh, episodes how they occurred via Zoom. So uh, we're doing this now. We're going back to the basics, and with us today we got old Brett uh, Brett Shell. Did I get that last name right? Yeah. Yeah. Chell, a lot of shell. people say shell like the like the oil company, but it's Chell. Shell, shell, the, yeah. uh, the, 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 the president CEO at the president CEO of Cold Bore uh, Technology. And uh, thanks for doing this. And uh, I'm I'm in Houston right now, and it's uh, April seventh. And you are in where right now? Where are you recording this? Out of my place in Calgary. Yep, yellow good old Canada, working from the house. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, I got we got a bunch of guys in our shop that work out of there and we don't have I'm not overly concerned about it personally, but as a right. business, we're trying to pr- just make sure we don't get any cases of covid in there and shut it shut down our ops. So, I stay so, here. So, Canada is still pretty they're pretty still pretty strict on covid, right? It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's I don't know why this is yeah, it's uh I've heard up there it's like, you know, you got to you know, you got to do a government a government like quarantine and you got to stay in the hotel still. It's still pretty it's still pretty like kind of a April of 2020 up there, it feels like. I mean, so yeah, I don't, I will get all too crazy on this, but yeah, they, they say that and they tell people, yeah, you got to go in your mandatory hotel, but legally, and I've looked into this, it's not true. You can just walk out. We have the same thing. Like we have a kind of a charter of rights, a lot like your guys's um, constitution. Right. And so right. there's laws as Canadian citizen, you cannot make them go to a hotel, but the government sure likes to say that it's mandatory. Oh, Which, but then you, then you'll get shamed too, man. You'll get shamed. Uh, it's just, uh, there's, uh, but the thing is, though, you're right. It's it's kind of a weird part right now in this world. Every country is handling, every household is handling it differently too. So it's like, yeah, what are you gonna do? You got to respect others, uh, and still you got to kind of uh, fight for your right to party, I guess. The, the funny thing is, is that respect others seems to go one way when it's uh, put a mask on because you're gonna kill my grandma, but it doesn't go the other way when we don't choose that. Respect this. We don't have civil conversations anymore. It's either you agree with me or you're against me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm I'm looking at Texas and Florida now, buddy. Lake Travis is looking pretty good. I love guns. I love not wearing masks and sunshine. Like I'm I'm gonna be down there. I'll be a Texan in no time. So not only is Texas uh, importing uh, Californians and uh, New Yorkers, we're gonna get some Canadians too. Honestly, I welcome Canadians to to Texas. I mean, a lot of good buddies uh, from Canada. I guess in the old patch uh, around here. So. Welcome. Uh, I, yeah. Thanks, buddy. We, we, I actually, uh, I spent over the last five years, probably more time in, well, I'll call it half and half Texas and Canada okay. just because all of our business is down there, right? We're everything. We employ 50 or 60 uh, Americans down there. A lot of them are in Texas. Uh, we have headquarters down there. I'm down there for meetings all the time. Our business is down there and I just love Texas. And y'all so, also, I mean, I mean, obviously we're going to get into this a little bit, but y'all also have other uh, 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 footprints around the globe. Uh, what, seven countries y'all are uh, active in? Six? What was it? Yeah, one, yeah. That real quick. yeah. Yeah. We have uh, equipment running kind of all over the place right now. Some in China, some in the Middle East, uh, a lot in the MENA region, uh, Canada, U.S. So, yeah, we got kits kind of running all over. Anywhere they're looking for oil, we're running <laughs> stuff. I dig that. Well, well, Brett, I want to get this kicked off, man. First off, love how love how we're doing. This is the first time we've actually talked, and the first time I've seen you. I see you got, you know, you got you got a good style, man. You got the tats. You got you got. It's 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 kind of like you know, I, I started growing my hair out long, and I still I get some flack from some people about growing the hair long. But at this point in age, it's like, you know, since you know whether it's COVID, whether it is, man, is you got to put your individuality right now, and it's 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 not the old school uh, oil field that I guess we grew up in anymore. It's, it's changing and evolving literally right before our eyes. So, man, I, I, I dig it. I appreciate it. I, we need, we need more like you. That's what I'm saying. Same here, buddy. Love it. That's <laughs> super humbling. Love it. Well, yeah, we're, pushing, we're taking the field into the office. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> might as well, man. Uh, so I'll tell you what, well, I mean, you can't get out to the field these days, so might as well bring it to the office. Get us kicked off. Uh, we always, we always do a little background. I mean, you give us a background about yourself, kind of your background and kind of uh, how I guess uh, the, did, you came into the cold board technology. Did, is this a company you start? I mean, actually, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm going to slow it down. 
Give us, start off with a little background about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I, and that's what I mean by bringing the field into the office. So I started in the field, uh, in 2000, like early 2000s yeah, on drilling rigs and spent 10 years out there, uh, longer than I had planned on being out there. I initially, when I got out of high school, I graduated in 2000. So there you go. I'll date myself. Um, um I'm 98. So I, I, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I went to art school in Vancouver here at a pretty good art school. I'm a professional artist as well. So I thought, you know, I'll go waste a couple of years painting pictures. Um, only lasted about six months and wanted to make some money. And so, so, what, kind of, so what kind of art did I guess did you did you? Uh, so my sister's an artist, we had kind of an artistic family. So what kind of art did you, uh, I guess, uh, did you like doing? Was it sculpture? Was it oil? What was it? Uh, I was into a lot of portraiture and stuff like that back then. And now I'm a graffiti artist. So I sell large graffiti pieces mixed with portraiture kind of, it's kind of all over the place. It's more modern graffiti. Think like uh, if you mixed portraiture with like Alec Monopoly type art, then all right, you get, so, get what so I do. Did you do that? Uh, that, that couch on your, so Coldboard technologies, they have a YouTube page. I highly recommend everyone go check it out. Y'all got some cool graphics, some cool videos. Uh, and it seems like, honestly, like I, as we talked before, I'm not a, a tech guy, but at the same time, I was going through your videos and it's it pretty captivating stuff. Did you do that chair that's behind you in that, the, the graffiti chair? Yeah. Yeah. Some furniture, stuff like that for fun. You bet. Furniture. That's- I've done Baja trucks for guys that race in the Baja, flew down to the States and painted their trucks. They're pretty rad. Yeah. That's awesome. Whatever. Man. I don't care. Throw some paint on it. Well, I think we need to talk after this about maybe getting uh, getting you to do something for uh, for me or uh, around the rotary because I, I love that style, man. So so anyway, so awesome. so did you so were you first generation oil field? Uh yeah. Uh, so yes, pretty much. My okay. grandpa, um, he when I was really young in the eighties boom, he bought some fields and started drilling some stuff, but he, he smoked a few dusters and wasted a few million bucks. So <laughs> that was it. That was my family's foray into oil and gas. And then I just went in the field because we, in the, you know, in 2000, that was the boom. Every, that's what you just, everybody who was making money. I mean, in, in early two thousands for someone that was 19 or 20 to be making a hundred, 140 grand a year was pretty it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we so, did it. So you found yourself, so you graduated, uh, you studied art. I don't know why it's doing this. I, let me shut this down. So you studied art uh, in college, professional. And then, uh, let me just close this. Sorry, Zoom issues. Um, so you studied art professionally, wanted to make some more cash, and you started going out to the field. So what was your, I guess, uh, your first feeling going from, I guess, the art art world to, I guess, the working a, a drilling rig in the field? It, it's wild. I, I credit a lot of what of who I am today and, and what I could do with that experience. Cause I mean, quite frankly, I, I wasn't soft, but by the standards of the oil patch, I was pretty soft before I went out there and uh, going out there was a shock. Like my first day on the rig, uh, my push after about, we were tripping pipe and I was a lease hand and I shouldn't have been tripping pipe anyway, but they decided to throw me on the floor and uh, he kicked my lunch out of the, the uh, chain shack after 11 hours. I'd finally sat down to eat. And he's like, no, I didn't tell you to eat. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be a long run. <laughs> what did I, I get myself into? <laughs> yeah, and that was back like back then. We were, I mean, in Canada here, we, were, we, we got into the safety thing a lot faster than the U.S., but we were still working in T-shirts and tied overalls around our pants. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a bit more like, the, the Wild 80s, West, nineties, yeah, yeah. It was like it was the eighties, nineties Wild West oil field, yeah, where you go there with your uh, with your Levi's on, yeah, yeah. So it was so, very rough, and it was it's awesome. It's a good thing to do. So so you're doing that. You're you're you're, you're making some money now, and you're, you're you're getting some experience. So I guess did, is did you just just decide to stay in the oil field? I guess after the pay, or what what you learned. I mean, was it the people or was it the paycheck? What, what what kept you? I guess in the oil field. Yeah, I was definitely the money. Like I was planning on going out there for a year or two just to make some cash and then do whatever else I thought. Cause it was, I was like, man, this is hard work. Um, and then just stayed out there for, you know, close to 10 years, seven or eight years. So I, uh, around, you know, 2005 or six, I was the second employee guy hired at a company called extreme cold drilling. And so we were, you know, doing technology development at that point. So doing uh, coil top drive hybrid rigs that were the future for drilling before the accelerated horizontals got too long. And we all know coil didn't become the tech we thought it would. But back then it was a really cool thing. And so we built three and 400s for those companies and, and for that company and brought it down to Poza Rica. And then we sent them over to the Middle East. 
SLB ended up acquiring those assets just recently. So they, they were fairly successful rigs, you know, at doing coil work. So you, so you were, okay, let me get this straight. Let me get the timeline straight. So yeah. you're working, you're working on the uh, the rig for about seven, eight years, right? Yeah. So were you actively looking for something new? I mean, how did this, uh, this other company, uh, I guess, approach you? I mean, I guess, was it time for you to, to start doing something else personally? Or what, what was the motivation behind that? No, we were just working in the field and I was working with my brother-in-law who actually got me out there and he was uh, pushing for this other company and they started a new company and brought him and he brought me. And so we went to do technology development, just happened to be the first guys there. Um, and then that's did what you have really, any experience? Did you have any experience with technology development previous to this? No, but you don't need that in the oil patch. I didn't have any experience doing electrical either, but they had me in there wiring up electrical stuff back then. <laughs> <laughs> Was that just roughneck and just get in there and do it, huh? Oh, yeah. I was, I was uh, Derekad then, and they're like, oh, you can come over here and just install all these VFDs. I'm like, what's that? All right, plug it in. Sure. Yeah, it was it was a little, whole different world back then. Like, you just figure it out. So, okay. So, you, you're, you're at this new company, and it's, it's uh, you're expanding to all these international markets. Now, are you traveling at this point? Uh, a little bit into the into the states and uh, Mexico, a couple trips, but not really. Like okay. nothing like nothing like now. All right. um, and then and then got out of that and decided like that's the end of my patch career for a while. Um, and then wanted to get in and really wanted to learn how to build like substantial companies. And uh, a mentor of mine told me is like it doesn't matter if you want to make wooden spoons or fly video cameras to space. Uh, you got to learn how to finance that business, or you're not doing either of them. Okay. So have you always had this entrepreneurial, I guess, uh, spirit in you where it's like, I mean, I guess what was the decision point for you? So you kind of just want to go pursue and build your own company. First thing, honestly, and this, everyone has a good laugh at this. I am completely and 100% unemployable. Like there's the worst. Yeah. Dive into, I, dive in, dive into that a little bit. What do you uh, mean? Uh, I just, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do it. And and that's it. And that's all there is to it. So I just not a good employee. And, uh, you know, the other side of that coin is my whole family, uh, literally everyone, my, both my grandparents on both sides, my three uncles, my mom and her two sisters, everybody. And my mom and dad, all, everyone had their own business. Like my grandma and grandpa were the butcher and the florist of the small town that we came from. Okay. They weren't called entrepreneurs back then. They were just, yeah. I think that's a, like a late nineties word. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so no one in our family has ever had jobs. No one. So this is just one of those things where it's just you kind of had to just follow the family tradition, just kind of do your own thing. I think it's just what you know, like just the environment you're brought up in. Like we just, uh, I was never brought up in an environment where people were, you know, had that mentality of, you know, this this is what you do to be a good employee. And this is, so I wasn't taught it, didn't see it, didn't know it. Just, you're just like, okay, well, I guess I'm starting a business when I'm 18. Uh, and so you go do it. So what, I guess, I guess, I guess having that, uh, the, that, that, I guess, mental state of, you know, I'm unemployable. I want, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do my own thing. I, you know, mar- marched, I guess, you know, your, your own beat of your drum. How does that, I guess, I guess, trickle into, I guess, how you run, how, how you run your business? I mean, is that, do you find that kind of being a strength um, of, of, I guess, how you run your teams? Uh, yeah, I do. Because inside of our business, we, we, we're a very fast growing platform company now with Cobor, right? We have an opportunity that is beyond the size of what we even initially planned. And so we have to move very quickly and we're scaling fast, which means we need very specific uh, experienced people in positions that we hire that are going to move to another position of managing people they put under them as we scale. So I need that mentality inside this business where you have to be a bit of a self-starter. Like we, first of all, want employees, <clears throat> but they need to have that element of, I know what I'm looking for in this company that I know I could go handle for someone to identify a hole. That's not my job technically, but I see that that's going to need to be addressed. Right. And I'll go find it and I'll start doing it and I'll bring the proposal to the team. We'll put it in the structure and make sure that that's what the team wants. We're all aligned, but then I'm going to execute. And I think that's really entrepreneurial of, you know, like that's what problem solving, identification and problem solving uh, as much as experience. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, man, like it's, it's it's just one of those things where it's like, it seems like finding, you know, good people, good talent is is, is one thing, but also adding that extra layer of the, the being a self-starter and, and being a self-motivator to identify problems that aren't handed to you or aren't, you know, t- you're tasked with. I mean, I, how do you, I guess 
how do I, how do you identify that with, I guess, uh, potential hires? I mean, what do you look for? Is it, is it just how their personality is? Is, is it kind of what their, their background, I guess, how do you identify that, that self-starter motivator that, that I guess that you're looking for? I think you, I, for me, it's really obvious uh, when you first meet someone, like just the way they talk and the way the, the way they see the world and the questions they ask. And when they're asking you interview questions, like if the first question before they know anything about the job is what am I getting paid? And what, then that's an employee looking for a salary and there's right. nothing wrong with that. Right. But if the first question is, I heard about this company and it's a platform and we could scale this thing. Can you explain that to me? And they go, and they're really excited about, holy shit. Like holy crap! This, you say, this, is, you say this is where I want to work. They should here. It's okay. It's yeah. Nice All right. So yeah. Holy shit! Like this is this is big, and this, the, you guys are going to connect this industry and move it to automation. Like I want to be here. They want to be. They, they want to be part of the, the, the part of the action, part of the story yeah. versus versus collecting that check. That's the way it is. And a lot of the guys, like we've got uh, C-suite guys that join me now that are like really high level guys that come yeah. from established, much larger, you know, big service companies. And they work with us now, COO, CT, like these guys. And uh, they're working for half their salary out there because we don't pay Halliburton salary. But they're right. coming for a good salary with equity because they understand you don't get rich off salary, you get rich off equity. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, so, so I guess let's take a couple steps back. I mean, so, so you're, you, you started this with you, with you, you hopped on this, you were the second or what do you say employee, the 12th employee with your, with your, with your brother-in-law, this thing. So walk me through, I guess your, your different steps, kind of what you enjoyed, what you didn't and kind of uh, I guess wh where you saw the need for a uh, cold board technology for forming and uh, kind of uh, the story behind that. So that's a lot of questions wrapped in one. I'll let you just yeah, yeah. take it and go brother. I think like more, more importantly, like I, so after I left extreme, I met up, this was like, if anyone's listening to this, that wants to start a business and like, I come from the field with no degree in anything to start. A, and you know, that's a gap that a lot of guys want to bridge and I, are fully capable of it. So the, where my, where my bridge got built was I found um, a group of uh, entrepreneurs that were in California and Calgary here that were building tech companies. And that's what they did. And the one mentor that I had, who's actually an uncle of mine, who is on my father, the, the butcher in the florist, that grandma and grandpa. Yes. Yes. I'm one of their you. children, one of their children. So it's okay. my dad's brother. Okay. So he was out doing his thing. Cause he'd been growing up on that. And I, and he'd done a lot of successful companies and financed some really big stuff. So, uh, built a couple multi-billion dollar businesses, right. Cool. Um, Built and lost. So he's got a whole story. If you want to go on a podcast, that's the guy. Get, but, get, 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 the, get the butcher's son. Oh, the butcher's son. That's right, man. He's got a crazy story. That'd be, that'd, that'd, be the, that'd be the title of the podcast, The Butcher's Son. And we just yeah. talk about the, the billion-dollar companies he's lost. Buddy, you just gave me an idea for a brand like The Butcher's Grandson. That's it. Well, wait a minute. Well, you've, heard this first, you've heard this first around the rotary, so I own a piece of that. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, so, okay. So, so were these tech companies, were they oil and gas? Or were they just, just tech companies? No, like these are payment rail companies. Uh, they founded, so Cam and his group in the 2000 uh, boom, he was like 27 years old. They built a company to a billion five market cap. And it was the first company to license Microsoft products for download, which was ASP, which is now okay. cloud, cloud computing. So, okay. so he's regarded as one of the founders or fathers of cloud computing. And so, you know, then, then he had a whole thing where they had a massive run up in 2000. He lost it all houses, planes, whole disastrous thing, and then built back. And then I joined them in 2010 and uh, they were doing projects like the, the whole space thing. Why I brought it up. We uh, flew some, a video camera, the size of a Volkswagen bus that was built by McDonald Detweiler up to the US, the ISS and installed it on the Russian module. So those are the projects these guys are working on. Right, like so. Wait, were you, were you, so you were you were part of that? I was a yeah. I was helping raise money for that one. Very not a founder, not an executive. Want to be really clear. Uh, I was brought in with that team to help you know build a financial narrative, raise money, and that's where I learned. You know, when he said you got to if you want to fly stuff to space or build wooden spoons or carve wooden spoons, doesn't matter which company it is. You need to learn how to finance it. That's where I went, and that's what we were doing, dude. What a cool! I mean, I guess what a unique uh, hodgepodge of experiences. I mean, you, you, you're working the field, art degree, right? Art degree, yeah. Yeah. working in the field. Okay, yeah. then you start this one guy. Then now you're now you're trying to raise uh, capital for this for this company that's going to put something in the ISS, Doc A, yeah. uh, whatever. So okay, so how did you? I guess go from that to. 
what was that, I guess, experience for you to raise capital for, for something like this? Because that's that's kind of like, uh, to me, that's a higher level level talk than, than I know that I can comprehend, that I could actually engage and sit down comfortably with. So what was that like for you? It, that that So that was the instrumental piece. If you want to start your own business, and, and there's different scenarios here. If you want to start your own business where you're a sole proprietor and you want to just organically grow it, that's one thing. You don't really need to know this. If you want to grow, start a company and expand, explode a platform, a technology platform, you're going to need financing, right? You got to bring on private investors. You got to bootstrap it. You got to learn how to build financial narratives. You have to know how to, how to deal with investment bankers. When does corporate finance come in? How does A, B, and C round work? Who does that? How do they want to finance it? What, you know, what, what's the nuance of all that? Yeah, That's its whole own thing. And if you don't know that, you're going to get wiped out. So that's where these guys were so instrumental for me. And when you go learn that world, which is what I did for five years, I worked for 40 grand a year. I went from 150 grand salary to 40 for five years. That was university, right? Tuition. Right. Yeah. And so if you do that though, that was the best thing I've ever done because then you come back in and that's how I started Coldbore and got involved with Raptor Rig and a bunch of other of these companies that, you know, kind of blow up, you know, I say quickly in five years, but you go to hundreds of millions in, in valuation. Well, five, years is five, pretty, years. five years is pretty quick. I mean, it's pretty quick if you, if you, if you reflect back in, on your career path. Yeah, it is uh, in in a business more traditional business terms, but now you know now we're seeing these businesses like these uh, e-commerce shops. Everybody pops Blow, up and makes yeah. two hundred million dollars in in a, a month, and I'm just a some dickhead, you know, working on a traditional business, heavy assets. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, well, how would, I mean, how would for these, for these people out there, I mean, cause we have, you know, the people that listen to this podcast are, you know, wide, wide array of backgrounds. You know what I mean? Some people like the entrepreneurial side of things. Some people like the job hunting. Some people like the career stories. Some people like the personal stories. How does someone, I guess, that would want, that does have that entrepreneurial spirit that does want to learn about the financial side, the private equity and the da, 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 all that, you know, the banks and all that stuff. I mean, I guess, how would, how would they, I guess, take a plunge and I guess, learn, learn those traits and learn those skills. Simple. It's so easy. And don't look any further than this. Cause I had smart people tell me this and it works. So it, whatever it is you want to do, if you have no idea how to get started and you hear some a podcast like this, where the guy's like, you got to learn private equity, you your cat, you're like, what does yeah. that even mean? Yeah, like, exactly. What, what is that guy even talking about? I get it. So the thing that you do is if you, whatever businesses you want to start, uh, you find someone that you have access to, or through one or two degrees and two degrees, if you really put effort into it and you don't, you know, poor, poor me yourself, you can get to a lot of people within two degrees of your network anyway. Yeah. Um, so find the person that is the most successful in that field that is running that business and get in your car or plane and go see them and just ask for meetings and time and then offer to work for them for nothing or free. So if you, if you do, you're like, well, I can't work for free. Yeah, you can. You're just not willing to. Which means you might have to work. Yeah, you might have to work for a year or two to save all your money and not have a car and not have anything to then go do it. So don't have that excuse in mind that you can't do it. If it if it's something you want bad enough, you always find a way. Like if you want to live, you. I love Francis Ngannou. Do you know who that is? Who is that? The heavyweight champion of the UFC now. Ah, I didn't know. Oh, go on. Go I'll on. I'll summarize real fast. He came from Africa and he was working in the sand mines for the first 18 years of his life. And then he got on container ships and, and illegally immigrated to France and got turned back 12 times and they dropped him. They just dropped him in the desert to die. And then like no food, no shoes, no nothing. 17 years old, then finally gets to Paris, sleeps in a parkade, uh, homeless for two years and starts training MMA. He's like this natural Odonis right? Yeah. Just natural ability, training MMA, gets into the UFC, knocks a couple of people out three or four years later. Now he is the champion, heavyweight champion of the world, multimillionaire, literally just learning English, came from a sand mine. Yeah. I got turned back 12 times too. I 12 mean, if that's times dropped off the dying desert. So how that's relevant to our story is like, if you can't figure out a way to go find someone that's in an industry, that's probably in Houston, that owns a business that you can't work for him for a year. It's bullshit. Yeah. Like, go, uh, okay. go do it. I see it. Yeah, just 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 do it. I mean, we had David Gibson on, and he kind of said the same thing. He's like, I lived oh, I know way. Dave. Yeah, he's like a great guy, and he's like, I lived well below my means just just to see my dream come to fruition. You know, like I didn't have the nicest car, I didn't have the nicest office. I I had a I had a vision, I had a dream, and I went out. and And I think he just posted like two months ago. Now he's like completely debt free. Yep. Have so to. I, yeah. I think I think that's pretty impressive. So so tell me about so when did you start? How did Coldboard Technology start? And I guess and when did when did I guess it come to fruition? 
Uh, so 2014, end of 2014, started 2015. Um, and just started with, uh, actually, I was a drilling guy, right? I spent a long time in drilling. Right. So in 2014, before the first recession of like three here in a row. Um, I don't think we ever got out that recession. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the first of the triple dip, let's call yes. it that. Yeah. Before the pandemic. Um, I, I We started, we just wanted to start something. So I just went out and raised uh, a million bucks just from people like bootstrapped it, put it together. And we got there. Let's get an idea and a team. And we put it together a business plan. And it was for acoustic telemetry. So uh, MWD drilling. Okay. We wanted to use acoustics, develop an acoustic tool to improve the bit rate communication between bit and rig. And uh, so we did that. We raised a million. We started developing. We got a couple of the best acoustic scientists in Canada, put them to work and, uh, you know, got a, a bit of an executive team in place. And within a year and a half, we had a tool that was firing and we were over talking to Schlumberger and <clears throat> in the Middle East and everyone was really excited about it. And then 2015 happened and we had spent... 2.5 million, pretty much everything we had raised to that point. And it went full recession and there was no more drilling toast. Yeah. So we were like out of money, completely useless product, uh, no market and, for but, it. And, and again, also, that's another thing too. I mean, that was completely outside of your, 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 your realm of influence. I mean, that was uh, nothing y'all could have done. Y'all couldn't have planned your business to, for this. No. Yeah. No, no, nothing to do with it. So that, you know, then that's my biggest lesson to people is like, there's, if you're worried, everyone's so worried right now, this pandemic, like the markets are hot and everything like, they're like, oh, I'm going to try to time this right. Like, you know, I'm going to wait or I'm going to, you know, blow. timing doesn't exist. You, you, this world is so wild and volatile now. You just got to get going. And it's not about timing. I mean, sure. You might be one of those guys that just hits it right. And then you're going to say that you timed it because you meant to. But you well, which control. is 90% of that's luck too. That's it. That's it. And it's, so it's not timing so much with these businesses, it's perseverance. Um, like we're perfect timing now. Cobor has got a platform that interconnects all of the services on a frack location to because they don't have it. They're all just, there's seven companies out there on a $20 million frack jumping around each other and they're not connected. Right. So we, we just said, this needs to be connected like a multi-direct or bi-directional communication and an internet on site that just runs controls and automation. So you drop off a master control system, connects all the services and runs it. And so, and then it runs to the cloud in a dual instance so that you can run all these 10 pads remotely. Okay, so you're, and, and what you're also doing, which is kind of cool too, you're, what, what I saw, I mean, obviously you're going to get into it a little bit more, but I saw it was, it was all touchscreen. It was all, it was very simple. It was very user-friendly, very touchscreen. So if someone gets to the, to the rig or the well site, they know it's, it's very easy to use because of, you know, now everyone has an iPad, everyone has a smartphone, everyone has this. So you're kind of taking that, the, the technology people are using on a day-to-day basis and bringing that out to the, to, to the, to the, to the well site, to the, to the location. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's really the, like the, the, the crazy thing to me. And it, t- it came because we were drilling guys and we came into the completions market. So the last, when we were doing that drilling tech and it tanked in 2015, yeah, we just pivoted into completions, took our tool over there and I, and we lost board members. We lost shareholders. I had no money. I went out and went to Vancouver because all the mining guys were cash flush, raised another couple million on new idea for completions. And that ended up becoming smart pad. But it all transpired because we were drilling guys that went into completions six years ago and they were just doing it the same way they'd always done it in completions, which is just this box that everybody was living in. And uh, they're all like, you know, the biggest issue that we were trying to solve or we heard people were trying to solve four or five years ago was on a completions location, they don't have visibility. So they were building analytic platforms to connect and view remotely. Okay. I was like, great. That sounds great. But you, what are you viewing here? you're viewing a bunch of data from six or seven companies that they have no control over how it's being gathered. It's just being, you have one operation, but you have six companies, six control systems, six timestamps that they're all recording their own individually that overlap and don't line up. And one's this one doesn't, isn't congruent with the next one. And it's just a mess. And so that everyone's thinking, well, we need visibility. Let's just build analytics platforms in the cloud and fire it to the cloud. And I went in and I'm like, on our drilling rig, we have an EDR, electronic drilling recorder, and it's just a computer that sits in the doghouse. It's gathering a lot of data, but the one element that it didn't have to deal with, like these cloud services and fracking, yeah. is that all the data it's got, it only had one company on that location, <clears throat> the drilling rig. So there was one timeline. So all the data that that EDR would gather in drilling made sense because the timeline was only, it was absolute. But then, when so you have, the, but then when you have six or seven different companies, I guess that it's it just kind of starts murking up the waters a little bit when it comes to clarity and what you're actually capturing. 
Yeah. So all, all the raw data you bring up to that cloud when it's not associated with a correct timeline and it's, it's matched all, it, it's irrelevant. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. You can't make actionable calls on any of it and expect that to change the real world operation in any means. So, but no one, nobody looked at it that way back then. They're just like, oh yeah, cloud visibility. We love it. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Why don't you guys just digitize a frack tree and track the operation of the entire pad, create one timeline with a computer. That seems, like, that's, that, seems, that seems like such a simple idea, though. I mean, Brent, not to knock, not to knock cold board technologies and the, the entire foundation of what y'all stand on, but do you think, I guess, the that that idea, that innovative idea on, I guess, uh, having one century in the smart, uh, this cold board smart pad, and I guess you're going to speak to that later, but mm-hmm. I guess, do you think because you didn't have the completions experience that you weren't on the locations during frack and all stuff that you were able to go in and kind of uh, look at this issue with, with, I guess, a fresh set of eyes. I mean, would, would, it, would, would that be kind of, I guess, uh, I guess the, 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 the secret of, uh, I guess the, or the birth of this idea on having one central unit or one, yeah. I guess, gathering data gathering uh, unit. Totally. It's just, classic uh you know just a different set of eyes on this on this problem to come out and just see the forest through the trees somebody just to step back and say i understand why you guys are all working on that you've been working on it for a long time but why has nobody talked about the real problem here right this is a mess this is a disaster you got all these companies you need you need to establish a timeline and if you do that you establish one timeline that all the computers on the location can connect to and agree on you could just write logic and have autonomous frack because you have all these control systems, they're just not connected. So we could solve a lot of problems with one, one solution here. Create a timeline, connect it with a master control system. Now all the control systems can communicate. We get controls and automation. We reduce infrastructure. We increase safety. More importantly, we format all the data from all these companies because we have a timeline that's not associated with any of them. Yeah. So we can use it to audit. So we audit the timelines from the service companies. We audit the sand, we audit the water, we audit everything. Make sure it's right, format it the same way every time, completely autonomize these pads and make the data movement consistent every single time and completely accurate. And then the data movement within these companies is automated too. It's like all these problems are solved all at once and everyone is just like, well, oh. <laughs> oh, well, how come we were doing this before? So, yeah. so with yeah. so with the development of this, I guess I guess the uh, it kind of sounds like kind of one of those things where it's not it's kind of a simple solution if you kind of looked at it if you looked at the I guess the, the paradigm on how we've done operations for the past gener- several generations. Do you, so, are you just still focused on I guess this uh, focus is a, is a bad wrong word because obviously it's your company, but are you are are you still kind of have that entrepreneur I guess or your team have that. Uh, uh, the, the lenses or the, the goggles or the visions like, okay, where else can we make things make better sense out in the, out in the oil and gas industry? Oh yeah. So th- this, it, this is a big, this is just getting bigger and bigger now because essentially what we've developed is a platform. What we're saying is there's an old way to frack and that's having all the individual service companies uh, come and, and have individual systems that aren't connected and send data to the cloud and put that burden on the operator also doesn't afford any of the services, any advantages because they're not sharing data. Right. And so um, what we're saying now is that there's this world where there's this interconnected master control system that allows for bi-directional communication and automation on site. Then the real win here is now that in the cloud, there's a platform because we formatted these locations and it's becoming standard. It's industry standardization meaning that we can look at pads across different areas the same way. And we can start to develop features and plug different service companies into this. Everybody can come and start to plug in because there's a established format, which there wasn't before. And that's like the analogy that works well is what Amazon did for e-commerce, right? All these retail stores had their own business that would sell stuff on their websites and it was all disjointed and not connected, which is not a great experience for the customer. They got to take time to drive around. and So anyway, Amazon just builds a platform. Everybody comes in, connects, shares all the features, all the benefits. Uh, If you are one of the people that comes on Amazon early and connect and build a storefront and duplicate your storefront there, you have access to this whole new platform. You sell way more, you have better features, better benefits, costs come down. All this is happening in completions right now. So the service companies that are coming to it, their marketing now is going, hey, I'm fully autonomous capable. And so, you're, so, so you're finding not you're finding not only good reception uh, 
from the uh, from the from the customers from the operators but it sounds like you're also uh uh finding good reception also from the the different service providers that are out on location it, the the service companies are our partners and clients as much as the operators are right so colbor is this our whole value of our companies we're completely agnostic we provide the tool and the platform for this transition to happen to fully connected automation we work with the biggest service companies in the US, the biggest brands you can think of, right. and building screens for them, building connectivity, building data movement. They're now, I'll give you an example. The operators are first clients, they're pads. So we bring right. the system, we say, hey, you want one system, bring all your services into one place and automate. They're like, yes, please, great, let's do that. Um, then we talk to the service companies and say, hey, this is a shared benefit. You guys can have access to other data on this pad that would allow your con control system to run more efficiently for your client. Meaning the pressure pumpers and the factory companies, we yeah. can share data. So they don't have that ability right now. So now what, through our, our central control system, the big pressure pumping companies we work with are pumping, pumping, pumping stage, auto, the stage one. And as their pumps ramp down, the, the um, control system from the wellhead providing company is watching and it sees the pumps ramping down and it auto switches, meaning that they don't lose any time. They don't have people on oh, radios. Wow. They don't have communication. They're just getting continuous pumping and it's turning into a factory where all the, because in reality, all these companies are interacting, right? In real yeah. life. Yeah. So now their computers are interacting in the same fashion, meaning that this can turn into a factory process. So this is the future of fracking as you were talking about one of, uh, one of uh, y'all's vi videos. 100%. Well, and I won't be egotistical enough to say that for sure, Colbore is the one that pulls it off as the platform. There could be someone else that we trip and it might be someone else. I doubt it. I think we got a good handle on this. I think we are going to be the one that introduces this, but fully autonomous, interconnected, bi-directional fracks on pad is 100% where all the fracks will be in the future. It's going. You cannot, yeah. You cannot compete with that uh, from an efficiency standpoint at all. It's like, you know, you can start your own platform to sell stuff on online and compete against Amazon if you want, but that's, that's the way that everybody sells now. You can't not have it. Right. So I'm, so I'm assuming you built this, uh, the, you built the platform, you built cold board before you actually even even brought it to Mars. I mean, well, I guess, I guess, uh, how much, I guess, engagement did you get from different service companies or different, uh, operators about like, Hey, look, we got this idea. Uh, it's going to be, you know, one system, everyone's going to be communicating, I guess, I guess selling a new idea to a, uh, an industry that is very traditional, very, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. My dad is, dad has done it this way. Um, I guess, I guess, what am I trying to say right now? I guess, how was the buy-in, I guess, uh, during the inception of this, uh, this idea that, that, that y'all had? So there's two things to that. One is that, yeah, oil and gas is super slow to adopt tech um, yeah. and, and big concepts like this, um, so the, the second element of that answer is that we learn as we go. We had an idea that was pretty much this at the start, but we didn't know how to explain from start to finish. And right. the hundred, we didn't know the hundred steps, arbitrary number, hundred that it's going to take to get there. And here's how you go from one to two to three to four very clearly. And here's the ROI at four and eight and 10. That is what you don't have to find early. So I won't even put it on the operating companies and the service companies not adopting, they're well within their proper, um, the proper, you know, reasoning, logical reasoning to turn this down for the first two years. Right. They go, great. We would love full autonomy and all that, but like, that's pretty ambiguous. What's the first four steps. And until you, you just got to be there every day, getting shut down, saying no, get on one pad, get kicked off. You know, four years ago, get on three pads, get kicked off, work with a client for six months. They love the idea, but it doesn't go fast enough. You get kicked out. And you just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And now we're at a point where we have enough adoption, enough of market saturation. We've had enough conversations. We worked with enough service companies from every angle and, and operators to know exactly this is the hundred steps. Here's where you are. We'll assess your company. You're in 10 or you're in 20 and you're going to take 25 to 30 in the next three weeks. And then in the next six, we'll do this and you'll see an ROI of X. And now that it's that defined, um, we are seeing the hockey stick. Okay. But it takes the learning of us, you know, not just the industry. That's why everyone always puts it on the industry. Like, oh, they're slow to adopt. We have to learn as companies what that process is to get them there. Because everyone loves the end idea, but they can't justify that to their shareholders in spending money for that for the next 
year it takes to transition six months, right? Yeah. So spending, now we've got spending, it down. spending new money on new technology uh, in, in our industry is you got to get buying. I mean, it's not something people don't like testing out new. I'm, I'm not saying everybody again, all the listeners out there, but for the majority of time is uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable testing out this new uh, technology just because we have it. And I don't, I don't, I can't justify spending X amount to try something new. And that's, that's the right. kind of the, were you say something? And, and yeah, well, and it just it has to, you have to get your product to a point where we are now, where we show up and we can tell them the value and show them through case studies and third-party validation, like here, talk to the other operators and they get a return pad one. And that return is two ROI, three ROI, but we're still selling the 10, 15, 20 ROI once full automation and pad is adopted, but we can right. demonstrate two to three day one. And once you get that, that's when you start to see the adoption go. Are you finding that, uh, that, that uh, I guess, what changes in the industry are you finding uh, since, since COVID? Because it seems to me that since COVID, I mean, the, the downturn you were talking about, the 2014, 2015 downturn was, it seemed like price was the driver. Right. Yeah. And lately, I mean, uh, the couple buzzwords been going around over the past eight months, it's been data analytics, it's been uh, ESG, and it's been technology. And I'm kind of hearing more and more and more that technology uh, is a huge push right now through this downturn. I guess, are you seeing that as well? Are you seeing that COVID is kind of, I guess, uh, or, or this, this last dumpster fire whatever shit storm, whatever you want to call it. Do you see that as kind of being a, 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 a are you seeing that technology being a more of a central, I guess, decision uh, in a lot of people's eyes right now, or is it just, is it, are we there yet? Yeah. And there's always a, there's always an underlying foundational reason for this stuff, right? It's not just like, Oh, this one's just different. Cause it's different. This one is different because the oil and gas companies have been going through recession after recession, after recession, getting hammered, 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 hammered more and more going bankrupt, more and more having to file chapter 11. Right. And finally it came to a head in this one after the pandemic that it just is, it was mayhem. And so there was this consolidation that happened, right? We see Conoco, we see Pioneer, we see, you name Parsley, it. Any, Parsley, yeah. WPX, everybody's buying yeah. everybody. WPX going to Devon and all these guys, everyone's just consolidates and they go from 40 or 50 oil companies, you know, this is but down to right. 10 or 15 major guys. And so what happens in that environment is that when those oil companies do this absorption, they're driven by their M&A departments and they're driven by their board and they're driven by their shareholders. Go buy this acreage because we're going to do, this is our strategy. And I should mention Toby at EQT, one of my personal friends, our biggest investor, That those guys are on a tear, right? They buying up everything they can get their hands on, but it's not the culture inside those companies now when they absorb a new one. It is. It just shakes everything up. They tear it down. They restructure. They put new people everywhere. And those companies are driven by their shareholders and their board. And the board says, we just spent $3 billion, whatever it is, and we acquired this. And we now have set targets that we have to deliver on after this huge shaky market. We're taking a risk. And if we don't deliver on these calls, on these earnings calls in the next quarter, in the next quarter, we're gone. So we're not tolerating there's, so what it does, it takes the decision out of the middle, you know, the old, the old guard that used to be there that would usually make the calls about technology. And they're like, eh, we're not really going to try that because I know how to do it best. Yeah. Those guys, that mentality comes from a tallest sunflower gets cut first, right? Because those guys have $500,000 a year jobs. Right. Why would they try a tech? Like, are they going to get a bonus if they improve the bottom line by 4%? No. Are they going to get fired if they screw something up? Maybe. Right. And so that is what always governed the 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 pushback on new technology adoption. And, chance, and, now, and chances are, chances are those people that you're speaking about are not even comfortable with the new technology. I mean, there's people out there that are like, oh, I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know how to open up uh, email. So, I mean, the, the, the whole hesitation towards, I guess, adopting technology, too, I could see that as kind of being a push, too. Well, you're, you're, you're a guy, most of the biggest problem is that you're a guy selling automated stock picking robots to Amazon, but you have to go in and talk to the people in the warehouse to see if they like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, right. It's like, no, I don't like that. But so those, that that's gone now. And now the boards and the, the directors are mandating fine. Now the incentive is there that if these new people put in the new positions, don't find automation, large efficiency gains and ways to track ESG and all this, that's, what's going to get them fired. And so that's what's shifted in the industry right now. And that's why everything's moving. Like with us, we're, we're there for controls and automation and efficiency gain, number one, but equal to that. The auditing that I talked about on this pad yeah. is auditing ESG, 
greenhouse gases. So automation can drop these pads, uh, can increase these pads efficiency overall by 20 or 30%. It's a wholesale shift. It's millions. It's 15 days off a program, but all that equates to what they want to market, which is 15 days off and how much diesel would we have used reduced. Not only did we take a huge amount of greenhouse gases out of this equation to do the same work, but we have the ability to track audit and report and prove it. And that's really like, so all of that combined is, is what your question is just driving everybody to get, to get automated. So you're you're seeing, I guess, in the future, the the, the near future oil and gas industries is things to be start getting more automated, more uh, technology focused. Uh, That's, that's going to be the push. It's not going to be, Hey, sharpen your pencils on your, uh, on on your bid. It's, it's more like it's an overhaul of a kind of how, uh, how we operate. Sharpening pencils is done. Nobody has any margin left. You talk to the services, like you, you can't bleed them all, man. You need good services out there. So what has to happen now is we have to adopt automation. We have to have one of these leaps happen where you look at a completions pad and stop looking at onesie twosie improvements, adopt full autonomy and take a 20, 30% leap in how that whole operation was accomplished and then start paying back performance-based contracts. If you track it properly to the people that perform Yeah, and now everyone can start winning again. Right. Yeah. See, see, I I mean, I had uh, David Reed on uh, here. He's the chief marketing, chief technology officer at NOV. Little flex. And uh, and we uh, I I love his uh, his background because he was an architect and uh, he did that for several years. And what he brings to the I guess the industry, he just has a different just kind of like how you did. Uh, when, when you when you went out there, you're like, how come this is happening? How come we just don't do it this way? It's it's a new set of eyes and it's a new mindset. Uh, it's it's just it's just an innovative new mindset that no one's thought about before. And I'm not sure it's the architecture background or the art background that you've had before, or hey, this just doesn't make sense. How come we just don't do it this way? I I like having uh, I guess uh, those those different uh, perspectives and I guess different backgrounds that are, are, are that are shaking our industry up, you know? Uh, so I respect that on, on your end and David's end and all, and all, you know, all you entrepreneurs and the way you view how we've done business generation over generation. I, I, I just love how you see uh, uh, new solutions for, uh, for problems that we never knew that were here before. So I, I'm just appreciate that. Hats off to that. Um, I kind of, so let's talk about this. So you got, so y'all most recently, uh, uh, went on the uh, y'all were kind of featured in the uh, Digital Wildcatters uh, Evolve Conference uh, uh, that uh, took place. What two weeks ago was that? Mm-hmm. That was an, first off. That was an unbelievable conference. I mean, I, I watched that and I was just blown away. And y'all had a part in that too. You want to speak to that just a little bit? And, I'll, and there's video clips too on uh, y'all's website, y'all's LinkedIn, and uh, y'all's YouTube. Yeah, actually, you know what? I got to give credit where credit's due. I know Jake and Colin well, those guys. Uh, we we talk a lot uh, on Instagram. I chat with those guys almost every day. Great guy. Like, just, we just align. We're the same type of people. Like, we're. Just, just saw Colin this morning. I ran into Colin this morning. It was his son's birthday. Son of a little, uh, pan, little uh, pancake with a little uh, whipped cream happy face. It was his son's five year old birthday. Oh, yeah. Like, the happy birthday for Colin. Small, if he's small world, this. huh? Yeah. Yeah. So just good dudes. Uh, they're trying to, you know, they're forging a relationship with Toby Rice as well, which is obviously a good friend of mine. And so and that's getting, e- we're all in the e- same team, right? Yes. E- yeah, he's yes. a okay. C- right. CEO there now. Yeah. So uh, we, w- I actually was traveling that day and I knew it was going on, but we didn't have like Colin and them just went out to EQT. Uh, Steve Coe, uh, Toby Rice at EQT. Those guys are some of the smartest, most advanced automation and efficiency. I mean, look at the number, the way they're turning that company around speaks for itself. You, you look at the numbers that they've had and yeah, natural gas has had a bit of a comeback in price, but those guys know how to run businesses and they are militant. And uh, it's all based on automation and data. They don't go off hearsay or you know old methods. They're, we're here to run a business. And so Colin and those guys getting involved with them is just a natural fit. Uh, it, Toby has a group that he calls Shellennials. And so he's all about automating and digitizing the oil patch. And that's why we're part of this network. Like Toby invested in us to bring us in. And I think he's doing the same, uh, you know, bringing Jake and, and Colin in. And we're just building this whole new, slightly younger demographic of, you know, I love the digital wildcatters branding and the Shellennials and where it's, where it's, where it's okay to kind of, uh, uh, be the, uh, be the, be the, not the younger generation, but be a kind of a, a newer generation, if you will. It's just add, just add um, some, a different expertise to the expertise that's out there, which is absolutely critical. The guys who've been out there for 30 years that know exactly what's going on, we're mixing skill sets now. 
And I so, think it's super valuable. So, so was that just like great exposure? I mean, what, what kind of feedback did y'all get after uh, after that Evolve conference? Uh, from I, I, I imagine have you know six six to eight thousand attendees. I'm sure you got some pretty good uh, feedback or or, or people uh, reaching out to y'all. Yeah, I got yeah, I a little bit. I got some good feedback. Probably ten or fifteen people reaching out and saying it was good. I think a lot more people saw it than. I mean, I'm so busy right now that uh, I honestly am kind of bad for just glazing over things and focused on we're doing financings and we're doing partnership talks with you know with baker like there's a ton of stuff going on so but it was awesome and my guys were real pumped with it and when i saw the actual coverage those guys just do such a good job a lot like yourself they're very good at finding out what matters and not having you know just pointless conversations trying to fill generic gaps fill the time yeah 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 so it's just really good content i love what they're doing we're going to be involved with them a lot more uh, jake and i and colin are talking about doing a podcast together getting it started so it, it, whatever well, i'm sure i'll be involved with those guys for a long time that'd be legit it would be called the butcher the butcher's son butcher's that'd, be the, that'd be the, the butcher the butcher's grandson that'd be the, the title of it um what so i guess i guess what uh where, where do you want to see i guess the only gas industry i guess evolve into and, and change uh during i guess in the, in the near term um, I, I just like seeing that the industry is moving to be one that's more accepting of progress and change. That's all that really matters to me. Like, I don't have any specific, I think across the board, we've kind of done ourselves a bit of a disservice here in, you know, thinking that we know the best and having that bit of a, and that's, that comes from, and I, I, this is my opinion that comes from pride. And I, I have it internal, like an internal ego that I have from getting my lunch kicked around and being swore at and frozen. And, you know, just the word you have an ego about it and you're like, no, this is how I do shit. And once you get to make calls, you make calls. I think we need to just, it's really good that we're putting that in check a little bit, maintain that pride, that oil patch pride, because that is something that's earned. Yeah. And, uh, but then, but then look, okay, let's also be open-minded to people coming in, uh, that are trying to help us, you know, like if they're from different industries or from, different yeah, I mean, different industries, new technology. I'm, I'm enjoying to see all this stuff. I mean, it's, it seems to me from March, 2020 until now, it's kind of shifted into kind of, it, there's, whether it's, it's been a down industry, whether it's been consolidated, whether it's been doom and gloom, whether it's been a shit show, whatever, whatever it is, it seems to me that, that, that the last, you know, what is it? 13 months has been a kind of a, a shot in the ass to our industry where it's like, you're seeing this new technology. You're seeing, you know, the evolve conference, how it was actually like produced like a, like a, like a MTV reality show, like the Hills, like it was just unbelievable. And like, you're seeing like these, the new, new ways of marketing, you know, uh, uh, it's more engaging, more fun and more young, hip. If you want to say it, it's, it's, I'm enjoying seeing that side of the, our industry. Me and too. I'm hopeful for yeah, it. So- Oh yeah, stuff like this, stuff that you guys are doing this podcast. This is the this is the 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 type of content and media that matters now. It, it, way more genuine, way more conversational, and stuff that matters and that's fun. Like this, having conversations like this is fun. You're not like I got a list of questions about how you know the oil and gas industry. Here's the numbers from last quarter. Like who gives a shit? Boring. We know that all. We know that all matters. It obviously matters. We run our businesses very carefully and have conservative accounting practice. Don't talk about that unless that, unless you're on an accounting podcast. Yeah, like let's let's talk, and that's what the Wildcatters guys are so good at too. They're, they're open and willing to be, um, I guess, criticized for how they are are seen as not traditionally professional. But yeah, in my mind, it's the new modern professional. No, yeah, no. I mean, I I completely agree. I think I think this type of stuff where you actually bring some sort of because uh, there's some there's some discussions out there. I'm not going to say podcasts, but there's some discussions out there and all that stuff where it's so technical and so market, so this, so that. It doesn't show who we are as an industry. It doesn't show who you are, Brad. It doesn't show who I am. It doesn't show who who you know John Smith is. I mean, that's the point of I guess these type of podcasts is to kind of show the personal side of our industry. Get to know a little more about you. Oh, I never knew you were an artist. I never knew you did this. I never knew you worked rigs for eight. I mean, it's it's just to get to know the person a little bit behind the position. So it's we are more of a of a of a of a of a story versus kind of these these stereotyped you know engineers or roughnecks or there's there's more to us and if and if one person outside the industry hears that who's kind of against oil and gas and they're thinking oh shit maybe they they're family men they're family people too like uh we got more in common than we than we don't and that's kind of a been i guess kind of a yeah. goal whether it happens or not of this new type of content these podcasts 
Very well said. hundred percent. Yeah. Bring the humanity back into it and, and just make it more relatable and people open to this. Like these discussions, these types of discussions are what breed real innovation. If you could have this discussion and we do uh, kudos to guys at NOV. I've, I, I talk with top guys at NOV, C-suite, uh, top guys at FMC, another amazing company we work with. We have very candid conversations like this. Uh, who else do we work with? Evolution, really great company. Um, Frack Tech, those boys, I just had a conversation with the 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 executives at Fractech this week. Man, they're looking at my house. They got like, you got a polar bear on your desk there. Man, what the hell is that? You got toys and trinkets, and they're just like, they just lit me up right away about my house and stuff. And I'm like, hey, 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 sitting in their boardroom. They're like, cold bar. Is that like Coldplay? Like the like the band? You like Coldplay? I'm like, yeah, the band. The band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so dad, I just, it's like, not the band. I just love them. So, but that's kind of like everyone's opening up. Cause I think uh, this whole digital culture now we're just, you're in my living room. So let's just have a chat. So how strategic right now are you about, I guess your living room setup when you do one of these, I see a little chess thing to your, uh, was that to your right? I mean, is that just there to show? Cause it's not checkers, it's chess. So is that just there to kind of flex? <laughs> I look like the, a checkers guy to you. I don't know. I look, I'm a checkers yeah. guy. Look at, look at the back <laughs> yeah. of my wall. It's, a, it's all. Oh checkers. yeah. Yeah. That's right. So no, I mean, yeah, is this, is this, usually is this, sits right here. Is this all stage? Maybe put some books back there. Just be like, yeah, I read literature sometimes. I mean, is this all stage or is this, is it always that clean? No, this is my house, man. Yeah. I this is it. it so I get, this sits on my little side table that usually sits in my dining room table. It's where me and my buddies play when we have, have drinks. And what's your, uh, what's your, what's your, what's your dog's name? Oh, I got two, uh, Frank, Frankenstein and Dracula, two French bulldogs. They're around here somewhere. You, you a big horror fan? A big what? No, it, uh, the one guy I adopted him, he's a rescue and his name was already Dracula. Some kids named him. And then I got the other one. I just obviously had to name him Frankenstein. Yeah, so. I, th- I think he had to. So what I, what are you doing, I guess, during when you're not at Cold Board Technologies or focused on that? What are you doing, I guess, in your personal time? Like how Cars, do you... Guess, cars okay huge car guy everything like buying and selling and modifying and fixing and like i love lambos and and beamers and old lincoln 64 lincolns and fastbacks and like i've had every car under the sun and and kind of built a lot of them too so i do a lot of that and uh snowmobiling and outdoor stuff so summer on the lake and winter in the mountains That's okay spend all right so time. pretty much what, what car are you working on uh you working on anything special now I got I got an E46 M3, a Laguna Seca blue, one of thirteen E46 M3. I just found and picked up. So this is my this is my project this summer. That'll be a nice little project then. Yeah, it's all it's perfect. It's mint shape, but I'm putting all the parts on it that I want. Wait, what is, what, what is this one called? Is a BMW M3 like a 2001? Okay. E46 M3 in Laguna Seca blue. It's like the iconic M3 right when we came out of high school. It's the one, it's a car we always wanted. I'm just checking this out right now. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I just, all right. I dig that. Uh, yeah. And I just, I just sold my uh, Superleggera. I had an 08 Superleggera that to, to get a few different cars. So that this is, there's a whole story behind that. I got a Lamborghini I owned for a week that got backed into and dented and, yeah, there's a funny story. You know what? That's what, that, that always, for another day. That, that always happens with my Lambos. That's why. That's why I don't buy Lambos anymore. That's that's. <laughs> that's I'm, I'm over them. I'm over them. That's the lesson, right? It's like that's I'm what you get them. for buying a Lamborghini, you dickhead. <laughs> so, so, yeah. bro, what else you got for us, man? I mean, I, I think we're coming up on a. Uh, I don't even know how long we've been doing this, but I've really enjoyed this chat, real uh, and talking. Your next time you're in Houston, man, I'd love to tag up for a for a. A, a beer, a game of checkers, or uh, or something like that. What, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to leave our listeners with that? Again, everyone, this is uh, Brett Chell, uh, President CEO at Cold War uh, t- uh, Technology. I highly encourage you to check out, I guess, their their YouTube, their uh, their website, and uh, connect with them on LinkedIn. Uh, they got some pretty cool stuff out there, and uh, check out the SmartPad. Uh, that's what uh, that's the uh, that one uh, stop shop touchscreen automatization thing that it, that he's been. Uh, talking about this entire time so you got anything else uh anything else for us you want to leave us with any uh any uh words of wisdom nuggets of knowledge or anything no man i'm not a wisdom guy like i'll i just i can't wait to get back down there i've been trapped here for a year and i'm we're traveling again in um uh end of the month here we're gonna go see a bunch of our partners and clients and we're doing kind of a round trip between houston and pittsburgh so man god bless texas i love that place i can't wait to get down get some barbecue take that mask off and hang out with you guys so well man, seeing, down, i'll be seeing all of you good hit us up man i'd love to uh love to meet face to face man until then i guess 
be safe. Have fun with Draculia and Frankenstein. And uh, I guess uh, I wish you I wish you the best of luck, man. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, good talking to you. And uh, you keep being you, man. I appreciate it. Same here. Thanks so much, man. It's been real fun. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, JP.